You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. I'm joined always by Sean Martin. Sean, good to talk to you, buddy. Hey, great to be back. Hope everybody is having a great end to the 4th of July weekend, enjoying their summertime, wherever you may be. Where can they follow you at on Twitter? I am at Sean Martin NFL. Um, I should tease this, uh, as I already have. I don't really plug any of my other social media on here, which would be more probably more active during my vacation next week. But as mentioned, I will be seeing Kenny Chesney in Bozeman, Montana uh, on Saturday, July 9th. And so here's a promise to our listeners, just because, you know, I live for embarrassing myself for the public entertainment. Um, but more likely you'll be able to find, you know, embarrassing videos of me singing along or dancing or whatever it may be on my Instagram or Snapchat, what have you. I'm not going to plug those, but my promise is that I will migrate at least one embarrassing video of some kind, or at least, or, or just a video in general from the concert, onto my Twitter. So there's your tease and your reason to follow me. Is that content that would normally be reserved for my more closer friends on the Instagrams and Facebooks or Snapchats of the world will make its way onto Twitter, and we will have uh, we will have that to talk about on Spaces and Hidden Yardage here, as far as my experience at uh, this concert in Montana. Yeah, and and you should check it out, folks. Because you want to see what happens when Sean, who's from Jersey, is out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, with just the wind and the wolves. (laughs) Well, I'm going with another Jersey native, too. So, yeah, I mean, we have that in common. But, you know, I'm real proud of my friend out there. He's been over there for five years and has definitely taken to the culture well as far as enjoying all the things that you kind of have to enjoy if you're going to move to Montana, the hiking and the wilderness and some beautiful mountain views out there. For sure. Um, you can follow the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're part of the Blog and the Boys podcast network. And the Dallas Cowboys get ready for the 2022 season. They're, we're in the doldrums right now where everybody's taking a break until training camp kicks off. When it does, uh, the Cowboys are looking to build upon their NFC East win, I mean, crown from a year ago. To do it, it's going to take maximizing the talent that they have, a somewhat veteran squad. And when you look at the positional spending of the Dallas Cowboys, for 2022 what jumps out what jumps out at you sean so the first thing i think that's the most surprising and you know hopefully this is an enticing sign that maybe dan quinn will stick around to really see this thing out before he has on defense because this cowboys roster is 31st in the league in the percentage of the cap space allocated to the defense so i mean dan quinn has just come in here and has his fingerprints all over these 
defenders, and they are, they are young, and they're ready to be really good on this side of the ball for quite a long time. Of course, you still have your veterans, guys like Demarcus Lawrence, who you're counting on, but to be that you know far down the list, and you know we we talked for years about how they could maximize when they were young on offense. Oh, can you get enough talent around a rookie contract, Dak Prescott? Or what can you do while Ezekiel Elliott is still, you know, in his prime in those first couple of years? And we did the same thing with Romo and the talent that he had around him as well at different points. So, you know, we've been trying to force the, uh, this kind of philosophy of team building onto the offense and it hasn't been there. And the offense is probably a big reason why, you know, this offseason started as abruptly as it even did when you lost in a wild card round to the 49ers. So, and maybe now it is time to transition that and say, how can you load up this defense even more? And I think they're on the way to doing that. Of course, you have Parsons going into year two. You spent some more picks this year. Your highest defensive pick was uh, Sam Williams, defensive end out of Ole Miss. So Quinn is very excited about his potential. And how can he not be when defensive end is probably your second biggest need once Randy Gregory got away to Denver? So, yeah, to be that far down and uh, the defensive allocation for the cap space, but still have the high very high expectations at that that we have for this Cowboys defense is pretty exciting. Yeah, and Dan Quinn should get uh, a lot of credit for what he was able to do uh, proportional to the spending. Like you said, it's second to last uh, for the defense. Now, for the offense, I think it's interesting they're the fifth in the league when it comes to offense. You think, oh, well, that's – because Dak Prescott, you know, his contract, that's understandable. And he's got a lot of weapons, right? <laughs> when it comes to receiver, they're 25th. Tied in, they're 5th because they're tagging Dalton Schultz. So they're going to, you know, eat a real big contract with him this season at $10.9 million. But really, and I think this is why fans get frustrated and why you have the hive of people that just want to sting Ezekiel Elliott is they're number one when it comes yep. to running backs. And why is no, that? Why, why is that that they're number one when it comes to running backs, Sean? Well, of course, it's just, I guess you can call it an albatross of an Ezekiel Elliott contract. And, you know, going up and down this list, it really just brings to a really sad, almost light, that, you know, Stephen Jones can talk all he wants about, oh, you know, we have to lock up our players and you want your, the higher percentage of your cap to go to your star players, but when you spend a free agency, you end up allocating too much to players who aren't really stars. They're, you know, role player and friend starter type of deals and our stars are, are drafted, so that's where the money is going to be. But then you look at, you know, up and down how much percentage of the cap is being allocated and and I was making my notes for this. I had four players that I wrote down as far as just, hmm, that's interesting type of deals, as well as noting that, as you said, they were first in running back. And you see the IM is only 1.73% of your cap. Michael Gallup, 2.06. Dalton Schultz is 4.96. So he's make, he's a higher percent than IM and Gallup combined. And I think even the biggest Dalton Schultz fans, you know, would struggle to find, you know, where's the game where he's really taken over, right? You know, if you want your, if it's true to your money, it's going to your stars. You know, where's the game's, you can hang your head on and say Dalton Schultz really won us this game. There's other tight ends in the league to do it. Travis Kelsey, all those guys. Don't tell me the tight ends a position where you can't win games because of having a star there. But has Dalton Schultz done that? I don't necessarily think so. And then DeMarcus Lawrence at 6.35% is definitely an interesting number to see just compared to what the rest of the defense is making. But 
Yeah, I mean, a free agency approach, especially this offseason, doesn't really pair up with just where the money is allocated right now and where you really feel like they should be going for it more, but they just haven't, aside from, you know, what they're dealing with at the running back position, where Elliott's tying up all the money and really Pollard and anybody behind him are making, you know, almost nothing compared to the league average. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about Dalton Schultz is if Dalton Schultz were on a road trip with the Cowboys – you know, offense, and you think of it as when you go on a road trip with your buddies and so forth, he would be the guy in the back seat that is passing out snacks. I mean, that's basically his role on the offense is Dax driving the car. You know, he's making sure that you get there safely. And then I'd say um, the receiving core, they're the passengers. They're making sure that uh, the jams are good, and no one does anything dumb with the ox cord, and that's Dalton Schultz in the back, is he's passing out snacks. You know, he's just kind of along for the ride. Uh, but to do that, I mean, they better be some pretty good snacks at $10.9 million, and I think that's where some of the frustration comes in. With Cowboys fans, is they, maybe they can't articulate it, but they just subconsciously know that the Stephen Jones, well, you know, it's just a hard cap, you know, and we've got to follow by rules. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you got a quarterback like Dak and Zeke, you know, those take contracts. That takes money. And, you know, we're going to try to figure out how we can get this team back to the Super Bowl. It's been too long. But, yeah, but then – like I know, it's subconsciously they know that it's wrong because ten point nine million dollars is going, like I said, a tight end who's not Travis Kelsey, and then you've got the number one running back contract in the game for Vasari, not the number one running back in the game, um, and I think that that frustrates Cowboys fans, and then really that puts a lot of onus on. Kellen Moore to try to maximize what he's got with the commitment with these contracts. So in some ways, he has a harder job than Dan Quinn. Hey, Dan Quinn, you know, just go do a good job with Michael Parsons and these guys. You know, it's your thing. There's not a lot of contract commitments there. But, you know, aside from Demarcus Lawrence. But when it comes to the offensive side, that's where all the commitments and obligations are. And Kellen Moore has to work with it. Well, that's a great point. Now, there's no doubt about that. You know, you see it in every sport, and football is no exception at all. The Cowboys are far from the exception that, you know, money is going to get on the field. Um, there's just That's just how it is. If there's a big contract somewhere, whoever wrote that contract, whoever gave it out, front office coaches alike, are going to just take every opportunity they can to prove that they, you know, made the right decision until it's just painfully obvious and they have to admit and move on. And you look at, you know, we talk all the time in these off-season weeks about what do other teams do so well that the Cowboys haven't done over the last 25, 26 years. And, you know, one example certainly is being more willing to quickly move on from players that aren't working no matter what the contract situation is. So, you know, the Cowboys are far down that list as far as not giving these guys all these extra chances to really prove, you know, they can be something that maybe at one point they were, which I think is the case of Elliott, but might not be anymore when it comes to what his game currently is, and that's why we heard 
this offseason that they're going to promise uh, a bigger role for Tony Pollard, which a, lot, which a lot of us will believe when we see. But yeah, Elliott's going to be on the field. The money's going to get on the field. And for Quinn, like you said, that's a good thing because he doesn't have a whole lot of one player being tied up and he could just mix and match and be kind of the mad scientist type of deal, just throwing guys out there. And, you know, this defense definitely has a strong identity of just being 11 guys flying to the ball, running around, making plays. So, you know, we all like what he's done there. And it's a great thing that they hope continues into this season. As far as the defense might even have to carry the offense a little bit again. And if we are talking about a defense that's carrying the offense, it's probably because we're talking about an offense that's being too dependent on just trying to slam Ezekiel Elliott into the line and trying to run behind this Tyler Smith, who I do think is going to be a great run blocker at some point in his career here, but, you know, trying to smash him in behind Smith there and, you know, it might work a couple of times, but then it gets stuffed out and now you're in those second down, third down and longs and you don't have a receiver like Amari Cooper or Cedric Wilson anymore, who, you know, as much as the ups and downs that they went through were part of the reason you can move on from them. They also, you know, they made those unscripted plays, right? And now Gallup was also kind of that guy, but he's going to be more scripted into the offense as your true wide receiver too once he comes back. But that kind of call an audible, make a big play, a clutch catch, Cooper and Wilson were the guys there for Prescott, and they're both gone. So when you're talking about, you know, this team being in a long down and distance type of plays, I, we have really no idea who they're going to be looking to besides, of course, CDIM, where the defense also knows the ball might be going as well. So that's a challenge that they're going to run into, I think, pretty early in this season and, you know, how they adapt to it and how Kellen Moore can put his foot in the ground and say that we're really going to change this thing and be different this year is going to be the story of how the season ultimately goes. Yes, it will. And however the season goes, the NFL draft is right around the corner, you know, because it's always draft season. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah you do, and you got to start figuring out why the mock drafters – and this has been going back since uh, this past draft leading up to 2022. You'd see mock drafts of a linebacker going to the Dallas Cowboys in round one. And Matt Miller from ESPN, he released a his mock draft this week. And again, as some Oregon linebacker is going to the Cowboys in round one. They have Micah Parsons. Under Dan Quinn, presuming that he's still defensive coordinator in 2023, they're playing more of a 4-2 nickel. So they really don't need like a first rounder next to Micah Parsons. What is why are people the mock drafters? Why are they trying to pair up another linebacker with Micah Parsons? A first round linebacker that. It's like Jabril Cox isn't a thing. Damone Clark isn't a thing. It's like none of these guys exist. You know, I'm glad you bring up guys like Cox and Clark because, you know, they are part of the justification for why maybe you can see, you know, this team trending back towards putting a traditional linebacker on the field. At least that's what you would see if you just browse the depth charts. And to answer your question, I think that is the reason because, you know, a lot of these way too early type of mock drafts are really just written based on a really cursory look at, at these depth charts, you know, they're not going in depth with who took the field for the team last year and who's going to take it this year. We don't really even know for some of these teams, you know, until they break training camp, how they're going to look. But you can always read into the OTA reports and things like that if you're a true fan and you're just writing about one team like we do to kind of start getting an idea of at least who's going to be taking the field for these teams. And when you don't do that, as it seems 
you know, these mock drafters going linebacker for the Cowboys aren't, then it's easy to see, you know, Parsons on there somewhere, but hell, you could probably even find a depth chart where Parsons is listed as a defensive end these days, and he has aspirations of, you know, breaking the sack record. So that could be a conversation him and Quinn have had as far as doing even more pass rush stuff this season. He's going to get some snaps on linebacker no matter what, whether he's coming or covering in the secondary. And you have Parsons, but then after that, you look around, and if you're just, again, doing this quickly, trying to mock a pick to all 32 teams at this point in the offseason, you're saying, man, I hate Vanderbilt. He's been around a while. He's not really you know, a guy. They brought him back, but they probably don't feel great about him. They could probably upgrade there. So linebacker's a need. You're saying, uh, Jabril Cox, he's played, what, four games? They don't know what they have there either. That's not, you know, a position they feel great about. And then beyond that, you know, you're staring into the void at, you know, late-round picks this year that you made with a guy like Devin Harper and, um, you know, some down-the-roster type of players there, linebacker. So it does make sense to look at it as a black hole type of spot on the roster just on paper and say, man, they need, they need to get better here. But as you mentioned so well, you know, to peel back that onion and say, oh, well, Parsons is a do-it-all type of player. He can almost make up for anybody you put next to him. Cox isn't an unknown player. He showed some flashes and are pretty excited about his potential. And then from there, you have a guy like Coase who plays down in the box. They even tried the Keanu Neal experiment last year. So if you want to go that route of taking, let's say, maybe a Marquise Bell or Tyler Coyle or any of these secondary players who might struggle to see the field as a true corner or safety and say that they want to maybe line up as a hybrid type of linebacker, nickel, dime back, this type of player, those could be options as well. Then you start to look at it and say, okay, they probably don't need a traditional linebacker. But I can also make the case that, you know, they are trending that way where they at least want to be covered if it turns out that their best defensive alignment is, let's say, two or three true traditional type linebackers getting on the field. Because you did bring back Van Der who fits that bill. Cox can be that type of guy. Devin Harper from Oklahoma State is kind of your big uh, A-gap blitz type of guy. You don't want him doing a whole lot in coverage. So you look at that and say, well, hey, maybe the Cowboys are desperately trying to get back to really just having a, a linebacker core full of your traditional type of players, and now we're going to add one more in the first down to feel really good about it. But I think you know, those names are more just depth options, and they are going to thrive in a lot of those nickel package type looks. When you you brought back Jaron Coase for a reason, you still have your free safety look with Wilson and Malik Hooker with Coase as well. So, uh, you know, Jordan Lewis is a guy who can play some nickel as well, and you want to see him on the field with Anthony Brown and Trayvon Diggs. So I think the strength of this team is in sub-package where more of these nickel defenders are on the field, and that's not going to change. And I don't think it's going to change enough to uh, to warrant a first-down linebacker right now. Of course, so much will change between now and next year's draft, but it does make some sense that you know a guy like Noah Sewell would uh, fit right into the current depth chart, just looking at the names that the Cowboys have here. But the depth chart also is the same one that Quinn's looking at every day, and I think he feels good about Parsons and Cox and Van Der Es and what he has this year before we even have to talk about next year's draft. Yeah, and I'm not at all knocking the, you know, picking. Uh, I'm not going to say what's usually said. Well, you don't know who's going to, where Quinn's going to go or anything like that. It's too presumptuous and so forth. We accept the premise. It's just in doing that projection, it looks like it's always been linebacker. And that's just fascinating. I think defensive end, I think that will be an area to watch if I had to just look at the Cowboys today 
and what could be by 2023, I think defensive end because, you know, maybe Demarcus Lawrence feels like he's getting a little long in the tooth. So that's where I would look for the Cowboys to go before I looked at him going at linebacker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I have an article coming out soon at bloggingtheboys.com. I vote the version for the offense is out here already, but I took kind of a tired topic that we always see pop up during the doldrum point of the off season, which is, Oh, if you could take any player from your team's history and add them back to this year's roster, who would help the most? And, you know, every team pretty much has at least one great player at almost every position. So, that, that topic always boils down to what's your biggest position to need and then add that star player in. So on this current Cowboys team, you would probably uh, think about adding one of these great defensive ends they've had or a wide receiver. And those are the first, uh, you know, those are some of the positions they ad- they addressed early on in the draft. They didn't go receiver in the first round, maybe just because they got wiped out. But you needed the offensive alignment, so you went Smith, but then you immediately went defensive end and receiver right after that with Williams and Tobert. The direction I took for the articles was if you had this year's draft picks that they just made or haven't seen the field yet on the last year's team, how much of a difference would they have made? You know, What would their outlook have been for the offense? Would they have still fallen flat? And that helps you project well, how much are they going to actually help this year now that they're here, but also factoring in what they lost. So I had the defensive version of that article coming out soon. And you know, when you're writing about a guy like Sam Williams, it's like, well, he already faces an uphill battle this year to potentially really see meaningful snaps. And last year would have been even worse because he had Randy Gregory, who played very well at the right end position, which is where Williams is certainly capable of lining up. So I do think Williams will find something of a role here. He's a guy who's going to get worked you know, by Dan Quinn quite a bit since Quinn has been interested in him ever since uh, Williams' Ole Miss Pro Day. But trying to find a role for you know a guy like Williams and some of these younger defensive ends Right now, it might be a little bit hard, but I want some of these more veteran players to move on, like you said, Lawrence, and you know, if Dante Fowler doesn't work out or any of these things at the top of the depth chart corrode the way that you know things have gone wrong this offseason, suddenly you're looking at forcing all these guys onto the field who haven't proven much, and you're going to need another veteran. You're going to need a high draft pick. It's definitely a position that's going to have to have you know a whole different outlook here. You, I talked about you can get by a linebacker with some of these hybrid type guys. You can make magic happen in the secondary because you have digs take you away half the field. But, you know, defensive end is a position where you can't really cover a whole lot up. You better have your players there that can make an impact. And they had that to an extent last year, and they've lost some from that group. But I still think they have a solid group, at least for this year. But the long-term prognosis is that they're going to need more talent there. Yes, and that dovetails – Perfectly into the next topic, which is who's the one Cowboys free agent or someone they traded away, uh, so we can get Amari Cooper in there, um, that they will regret parting ways with the most this season. So I actually think, I I wrote down Cedric Wilson for this one. Um, You know, I think right now, at receiver, you have, of course, see the iron with Michael Gallup on the outside. I think we've talked to death on every show on this network and every Cowboys media outlet, including bloggingtheboys.com, that, you know, we don't really know how to feel about that. It's going to be kind of a week-to-week thing when you're going up against some of these better secondaries in the league. That might really be a struggle um, as far as them not proving that they could be, you know, the true one and two guys. But I think there should be way more concern about, you know, who's going to be lining up in that slot position, which is such an important position 
as it has been since Prescott took over a quarterback. You know, it just it fits the way he throws the ball well over the middle, kind of those unscripted rollout type of plays. Somebody needs to win in the slot for this team, and I don't think that's what Jalen Tolbert does best. I think it might be what C.D. Lamb does best, but I don't think you can find enough snaps for him on the inside because of what you're counting on him to do on the outside at receivers. So, you know, then you're talking about a guy like Simi Fahoko who hasn't really proven much and doesn't really have that speed and quickness and agility to fit the offense that they're trying to play, I think, as far as vertical uh, threats on the outside at receivers. So, yeah, I think that slot receiver position is really a uh, an arbitrage right now for this team to look at how Prescott can hit his guys. And we talked about Saltz being such a big cap hit. You know, he helps ease that a little bit going over the middle from the tight end position. But, man, you'd still love to have a guy like Cedric Wilson on this team. You think about the way he saved that Patriots game with that fourth down catch. I'll never forget uh, one of the Patriots assistant coaches who fought that – when he sort of threw a leave Prescott's hand, immediately reacted. And you could see it on the TV copy – as if the throw was going out of bounds. It certainly looked like it did, but he fought right down in there. The Patriots had to stop to win that game. And Wilson, right in front of this coach, reaches up, makes the ridiculous catch. You just see the coach bend over and reach for his knees and say, you know, man, we had him right there. And we thought this game was over. And, of course, the Cowboys still had to go down the field. And as they did, and then that game ended with CDLM scoring the overtime touchdown, which we've all talked about as kind of one of the last high points for the Cowboys offense for almost the whole season as they kind of went flat after that. So to avoid something like that, you're still going to need those unscripted plays, which I don't think you can count on from Gallup anymore, and I don't think you have uh, a slot guy that can make them as well since you moved on from Cedric Wilson. So I think his loss is really going to be felt here. Yeah, and that was uh, really picking the favorite toy out of the toy box, Sean, on that one. So I'm going to have to go with Randy Gregory. I think that Sam Williams is going to take a little bit longer to develop and to rely upon. Randy Gregory was the sure thing in terms of coming out of the gate, ready to go, expectations, what his job was, how he could help out Micah Parsons, free him up, how he could stabilize the pass rush. I think you're going to have growing pains with Sam Williams, and maybe by the end of the year you can rely on him. But Randy Gregory was someone that you could rely on throughout the year. So for me, it's Randy Gregory. I think that he's the one that they're going to regret the most. And I, he's the one that I think Cowboys fans on Twitter and everything are going to remind you about if he has so much as an assisted tackle on special teams. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Okay. When Byron Jones, you know, knocks a pass away that wasn't going to be caught anyway, we hear about it. So, yeah, you're, you're right on the money with that one. Yeah, so for me, that's also why I'm picking uh, uh, <laughs> Randy Gregory as my cowboy that they'll, oh, they'll rue the day that they let Randy Gregory get away. So with training camp being three weeks away, you know, it just begs the question, What's the shortest Cowboys offseason that you can remember, Sean? And conversely, what's the longest one that you can remember? Yeah, so this is a, a real interesting question, Mark. You know, once you do this long enough, the offseasons kind of blend together, I think, a little bit. So I really had to give this some thought and hopefully come up with some fitting answers here 
and uh, you know, when we get to my longest offseason, hopefully it's not too much of a prisoner of the moment kind of uh, answer. But we'll start with my what felt like my shortest offseason, and I think it was the one you know, we went into right after, of course, the infamous Des Bryant Cats game uh, in 2014. That season ended on such a poor note, but as we do every offseason, we start to get hyped up no matter who the team lost or you know what they may be going through. So the, on the heels of that 2014 season, the team was still expected to be very good. And for that reason, that's uh, kind of why I got into doing any type of Cowboys media. I was still living in New Jersey at the time, but I found Inside the Story, which is where I worked before this. And that was my first offseason doing this. And that that felt like the shortest because it was my first experience, you know, covering things that I had never, ever written about or covered in my life before, you know. I followed the team pretty closely during the season, but you know, training camp, maybe I would read, you know, an article or two, follow an update or two, but I certainly wasn't, you know, hanging on every word of these training camp update updates like we do now to get article ideas. But I did that year and that was the first time I really learned about, you know, what what an OTA schedule was like and just all these things that were new to me um, that kept coming up as far as topics that I could write about and cover to give me something to do. So twenty fifteen is my first year in I guess Cowboys Media you could say and for that reason, just the newness of having things that I hadn't done before and always, you know, pushing forward with that, with the energy of being a brand new to the scene, uh, helped get through that off season, as well as the hype for, again, a team that we thought was going to be quite good. But um, but that season, you know, if you could ask me what season felt like the longest, that season might be the answer for, for that as well, just because it didn't turn out how any of us planned. Um, so that was, I almost had more fun running in the off season that year than, I did during the season just because writing in the off season is when you really get to do a lot more prediction type pieces and analysis as opposed to like the more structured uh, game day type of content that goes on during the 16 weeks or then it was 16 weeks of NFL seasons. And for my longest one, again, prisoner in a moment perhaps, but I'm going to say it's this current one that we're going through. You know, it feels like it's just been nothing but negative updates. We've done multiple segments here on Hidden Yardage about you know, why does it feel like Cowboys fans are more disconnected than ever from this team and things like that? And, you know, morale might be down. And, man, it, you know, if it wasn't for that 49ers loss feeling like it was your best chance, then when are they going to get back to it? I have a, I have a co-worker at my in-person job here who's a big Cowboys fan who, uh, you know, we, we watched a lot of games during the season once I moved down here together. And, you know, he's been a Cowboys fan living in Texas his whole life. And he even said – he has said to me a few times uh, – you know, things like, man, this year felt like the one and, you know, it felt like this was their chance. So, you know, for fans that have been tied to the team longer than I have to be saying that and then to go through what they've gone through this all season, I think this one might feel close to the longest one, but, you know, maybe that's not the best answer because we still do have a podcast we do every week and plenty of stuff going on at Blogging the Boys and our Twitter spaces and all that. So there's enough going on to get us through the off season. We're almost there. Training camp is going to feel like it's pretty soon, but just as far as the overall morale being down, I think that's helped or hurt this offseason be, uh, you know, a unique one and feel a little bit longer than maybe it usually does. This offseason, I'll be honest with you, has felt like it's moved very quickly. Uh, and it's been because of the negativity surrounding the team. This one has felt like it's moved very quickly. Um, I would say... One that moved very slowly was 2020 because you had the combine and then that was it. And then the draft and then that was it. 
where there was no schedule. So that made it feel like it was an eternity. Um, but I'm not going to count 2020. I, I think for me, the shortest off season was the 2009 off season. Uh, no, the 2010 off season, because it was like Dallas lost to the Minnesota Vikings. And then the next thing you knew, they were at training camp in San Antonio. And then they had that dual training camp in San Antonio and Oxnard, which was weird. And then they had the Hall of Fame game. So it was like, boom. It's right back at it. Nothing happened relative to, you know, signings or anything. It was pretty much in the draft where Dallas made moves. They got Des Bryant. But Allen Ball, they retained at safety. Um, Doug Free, they retained at uh, left tackle. Uh, Flozell Adams, they let him go. So that's what I mean was it was just nothing really happened with the team. And they had the Hall of Fame game and the dual training camp. So to me, 09 felt like the quickest offseason. I think... The slowest off season was two thousand. It was two thousand and sixteen. I'm sorry, seventeen. That one felt like it was slow because Dallas lost in the divisional playoffs, and then um, what's going to happen with Tony Romo? Are they going to trade him? Is he going to retire? And all of this, and then what? Where's Dallas going in the draft? They got Taco Charlton. Are you kidding me? No, no, it's it's good. It'll it'll turn out okay. Uh, no, don't. I was hosting a draft party for that pick, and I it was my own place, and I, I had friends over, and I still stormed out of the place. And they also I could still hear them in the hallway though, and they were all so confused. They're like, "What do we do? Like, we're in Sean's place, but he's not here." Like, man, I stormed out when because they uh, they were scrolling Twitter to find the pick. Um, and one of them found it before I did, but didn't want to spoil it. So they waited until I got the TV reaction and then they already knew so they could warm up to it. And then I just stormed out. So, uh, you know, you know, I know I wasn't the only Cowboys fan that had that reaction to the taco pick. And that's a good point about how that off season felt with all the Romo stuff, which I guess I've put in the back of my head, but if I could bring that back up, you know, I would never go and through that. And it certainly did make that one feel pretty long. So. Yeah. So there were these different twists and turns that kind of made it feel long. And then that what's weird was, again, that, like I mentioned, 2010, Hall of Fame game. So it was a quick start, but it just felt forever to get to that point to where they could shake off what happened to them against the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, that's a funny thing, Sean. When they've lost to the Green Bay Packers in the divisional playoffs, they've rematched them the very next year in the regular season. 14, and then 15 in December. 16, and then um, they rematched them that in 17 in October. Huh. But anyway, uh, so yeah, those are my longest and shortest off seasons. Yeah, we'll get McCarthy's uh, return to Lambeau Field as the Cowboys coach this year. So that's certainly a game circled on a lot of fans' calendars. It's just your nice traditional, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon matchup, which 
my boy Fox has, of course, and but they've had so many shakeups in the booth that you know you can all. In the past, you would just build that game right away for oh, we're going to hear Buck and Aikman, but of course that's not the case right now. Right, so you can count on Kevin, uh, Kevin uh, Burkhard, and Greg Olson and Aaron Andrews covering that game. All right, let's go ahead and get to Cowboys' birthday, Sean. Before we get out of here on Monday. July 4th, we got two of them. First one is Bob Brunig, or I mean Brewing, who was a linebacker for Dallas from 1975 to 1984. He was a member of that Super Bowl um, 12 team, Doomsday in the Dome. They beat the New Orleans Saints 27 to 10, giving Tom Landry his second career Super Bowl. Also on Monday, Leroy Glover. Uh, a pro bowler for the Cowboys. He played defensive tackle from 2002 to 2005. He turns 48 years old. What you have any memories of Leroy Glover, Sean, or he, he's too young for you? Yeah, you know, a little bit before my time with that. Uh, you know, certainly a name I recognize, and you know, I've seen some plays from, and you know, like an old highlight tape will pop up, and you'll see him make a play, that type of deal. But yeah, I can't say as far as watching him on game days that I really. Uh, remember a whole lot of his playing days, but nonetheless, a happy birthday goes out to him, and he was a good player for a good number of years here for Dallas. Yeah, and he was a member of those New Orleans Saints, that New Orleans Saints team in 2000 that helped earn the the uh, franchise's first career playoff win with a wildcard victory over the reigning Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. On Wednesday, Alvin Harper turns 54 years old. He played with Dallas from 1991 to 94 and then came back in 1999 when Dallas was looking for receiver help after Michael Irvin sustained a career-ending neck injury. And then on Friday, Matt McBriar, Pro Bowl punter for the Cowboys from 2004 to 2011. The Aussie from Melbourne turns 43 years old. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. Yeah, it seems like every time you put a Troy Aikman highlight on, and as you know, I get to work with uh, his new beer brand, Aikman's Eight, oh, he, uh, the lager that he has. So, you know, I've had some coworkers who've gotten to meet him recently and all that, which is really cool. I'm waiting for my invite for the next time he's in the Austin area. But, uh, you know, every time you watch something from Aikman, who was, of course, before my time, but, you know, his Super Bowl win in 96 was, you know, essentially became the reason I'm a Cowboys fan. You see him throwing some deep balls to Evan Harper that were just right on the money and really a great connection between them. So even though I don't remember watching Alvin Harper play, I feel like I know his game very well just because he was on the receiving end of so many perfect passes from Aikman, and that was really a pretty connection that they had. Yeah, it was. Uh, they did a great job, um, and he was just a perfect complement to what they had going on with Michael Irvin. And uh, no comment on Matt McBriar. I mean, I guess punters don't matter. Punters, well, kickers apparently don't matter for this current team, um, although they did finally add one besides Garibay on the roster. So we'll see, uh, you know, what that position group looks like in training camp. But I am team never punt. Uh, the analytics said you should always go for it, and we are going to be throwing uh, screen passes on 4th and 17 to CDLM. There you go. There you go. That's the winning strategy for the Cowboys in 2022. <laughs> and the winning strategy for you is to follow the Hidden Yardage podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. 
We're part of the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network, which includes other great shows, podcasts, like First and Ten with Dave Sturgio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis. You can check them out on Mondays as well. On Tuesday, the 750 with Tony Casillas and RJ Ochoa. And then on Friday, Girls Talking Boys with Kelsey Charles and Meg Murray. It's just a part of the great podcast we have on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. So, uh, pork roll sandwich update. I'll be in Dallas next week, and while well, you're in Montana, and uh, I'll. S- oh wait, what you you put? Is this intentional? You just planned this, so I wasn't around. Hey, how about this? I told you I'd come up to Dallas for this. Okay, well then I won't go. Nope, I Man. won't go. But, but I well, got to go to Dallas next week, so I just won't go. Well, then, well then get no, get the sandwich anyway. But man, I, I thought I was gonna have a reason to come to Dallas. No, well, we'll make the reason. We'll make the reason. Okay, how about that? We'll make it happen. We I'll give you two well, reasons. We got to make. I'll it give happen. you two reasons yeah, to come I'm, to Dallas when it's time to come to Dallas. How's that? It sounds great. Though. I mean, if you do get the sandwich, I can't wait to hear your review. We've been teasing this for so long. Yeah, it's going to be great to uh, to get your reaction. I just I hope beyond anything well, that it does taste like the authentic New Jersey taste, uh, so we don't have to send you up there. But. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I was thinking I'd get it on my own, so then I could say, "Hey, I had this. It was like this," and you could say, "Ah, eh, that's not the real thing. Keep trying." But it does make sense that you would have to be there to vet it. You know what I mean? Yeah, either way, just ask for a pork roll egg and cheese. Don't ask for Taylor ham egg and cheese. And, uh, you know, see what comes out and uh, we'll get you a review. Though. No doubt it's going to be. I'm going to go to the uh, my favorite establishment that's in white and orange. I'm just going to do that and not worry about this. We'll, we'll do this. Like I said, I'll give you two reasons to come to Dallas when it happens. And Dallas is quickly turning into like almost a second home for me. I've been in Texas a year and a half. And if I come up again, anytime soon, it'll be my third time in that area already. So yeah, I've been, uh, I've been on the I 35 drive from Austin to Dallas a couple of times already. Oh yeah. He's been in the construction parade. All right, folks, you've been, you've been listening to the hidden yardage podcast. So there it is. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today